Good morning to you. My name is Brett. I am pastor of this people. It's good to see all of you, but especially our guests and you who are online. Welcome. Glad to have you with us today. And thank you, all of you, for making us your church home for an hour at least today. I'm going to continue the series on Welcome to Church, and I think end it today with a sermon entitled Welcome to Mission. Welcome to Mission. Turn with me over to the book of John. Book of John, chapter 11. We're going to read verses 38 through 45. John 11, 38 through 45. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Verse 39. Take away the stone, he said. But, but Lord, Martha and said, said Martha, the sister, the sister of the dead man, by, the time, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been, been there for four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe you will see the glory of God? 41. So they took the stone away. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me, 43. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to him, take off the grave clothes and let him go, 45. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. Lord, help us as we study. We boil down the mission of our congregation to three important points to us. One, to encounter Christ. We want everybody who comes to us to, to meet Jesus, not just us, not just our processes, not just our systems, not just our people, but him. And we are doing everything we possibly can to clothe ourselves with him. So even though you might meet us and you might be involved in our processes and our systems and our classes, you come away with this, wow, Jesus is great there. Jesus, they make much of him there. We want to do everything we can to make sure that we present the kingdom excellently. And all excellence is, it doesn't mean opulence. All excellence is is removing the obstacles that would normally be there for you to see him well. So you can experience him in as much fullness as possible. That's why we do everything we do. And if we don't do it as well as we should, we are working on it so we can, so that when we do what we do, when we finish what we do, you see Jesus, not us. Amen. And because you see Jesus, not us, you want to be a part of the environment that helps other people to do the same with us. I don't know if you caught that, which means you want to be a member. <laughs> now, there are other places that do this really, really well, if not better than us. And so there's no competition here. I am grateful that the kingdom of God is being expressed in ways without impediment in so many places because we need that every place. Good churches are great things. 
And they need to be in every community in America, and there's no way we as a people can figure out how to do that. We don't have enough time, nor enough money, nor enough human resources. And so God multiplies his influence with other people. And we love the church wherever it expresses itself in the, in the manner whereby people can see Jesus. We love it. I don't care what it's called. We love the church. But there's a part that we must play in that. And we should, we should work really, really hard to make sure that we not only express who Jesus is to the world, but make it so attractive that other people want to be a part of that expression to the world. And unapologetically, we want you to be a part of us. If we are not your people, I get it. Sometimes I don't like me. I get it. But if we are called to, if you are called to be with us, get in. Come in fully. Don't hang on the outskirts. Be a part of helping us present Jesus to the world well. Because I, I don't know that there is more of a needful time for him to be presented well to the world. He's being presented in ways where the world says, I don't get that. They say they're Christians, but they, they say this and, and they do that, but that... That look, I don't know Jesus that well, but that doesn't look like or say like, sound like what Jesus would say or do. He's being presented in many. Let's try to do the best we can corporately to present him so that everybody out there is able to say, best, best representation of Jesus I have seen. I didn't say best. I said best they have seen. There may be other people, again, better than us, and I hope so, but we are striving for excellence in this area. We want you to encounter Christ, and we want you to experience community. And once you're in this thing, you understand something about family. You understand something about what it means to be in relationship with people. And once you are in that relationship with people, you choose as best you can to not leave that relationship. Mm. Generally, we want people to hang with us, don't we? We don't want them to leave us. I mean, we've invested time and energy and, and maybe finances and a whole lot of effort and prayer. And, and, and then we want them to make sure that they overlook our flaws when they present themselves. We want them to hang in there with us when we make a mistake. We don't want everybody to abandon us and then go off with their own individual story about why they can't hang with us. And don't let them all get together. <laughs> I mean, they, they, they will fellowship around all your flaws. We want that, but we never want to be that. We expect it from others, but, it's, but we feel like it's almost too much for us to expect of ourselves. I mean, we know we're nice. We know we're good, and we can't understand why people just can't figure it out with us. But other people are saying the same thing about you. We all say it about one another, and thus the body of Christ is splintered. We are as, as, close, as close as we can be until our next offense. And then we, whew, boy, distance, air, a lot of it is between us. And we as a congregation here are really drawn to offense. The people who are most important 
to this house, meaning the leaders who have been here the longest, have been here a long time. I've walked with people for, gosh, we started in 82. Mm. J.C. Sherrod, elder in our church, he and his beautiful wife, Rosa, have been here for, since 88. Daryl Green since 84. Jim Critcher arrived here, and Prophet Jim, Pastor Jim arrived here in 2003. Tiffany, I think 96, 97. Corey, 97. 97. My son was born here. <laughs> you get my point. We do long well. And it's not because we are so good at relationship. We are just as much children of Adam and Eve as you. We are flawed, we are fallible, and we are finite. And there's nothing about us that is any different than you. Our flesh stinks the same. The only thing that makes us different is that we choose not to give into it when bitterness, unforgiveness, resentment want to take root. Instead, we offer, we pull from our tool belt and offer forgiveness and love and kindness and temperance and understanding. And we choose to press through and figure out what is on the other side of this offense. How can I bring the cross here and find out what love looks like on the other side? Family. It's the only way family can exist. When you don't have the last name. When you don't, when you don't, it's not in common, your DNA. It's the only way. So we believe in community. We want you to experience community when you come. Not just the stuff that you feel on a Sunday morning by being with people of like mind who want to hear the same thing. We really want to be a family. And we work at it. We work hard at it. And then thirdly, we want to extend the kingdom. After we have encountered Christ, after we have experienced community and, and understood what family is supposed to be like and lived with one another even in the midst of conflict, we then want to present to the world what it looks like for them to do the same. But it's not just come and see. We're not just window dressing so that we might hopefully attract people who pass by, though that is important. The come and see model is important. It's a part of the outreach. But primarily, Jesus said go. Go into all the world and preach his gospel. And so we want to intentionally extend the kingdom. I took my family on a charter uh, yesterday. Went on the Chesapeake and caught 53 fish. It was a blast. And my family's big, so it wasn't me. All of us, all nine of us caught these, these fish. It was a lot of fun. We probably caught about 120, had to throw little ones back. It was a blast. When you get those people that got those sonar things and they know where the fish are, it makes it fun. You don't have to, it's really not fishing, it's catching. You don't have to sit there for an hour. You just put it in, oh, and they had two hooks on one line. So you could literally pull up two fish at the same time. And my kids were having a blast. It was great. Just, just marvelous. At the end of the thing, the, the, the captain, the, the mate, who was helping us. Every time we had a little fish or any kind of fish, he'd pull it off the line for us and rebate the hook. And he was working really hard. Now we paid him. And so he got handsomely rewarded with a very good tip. We believe in tipping. Well, because the restaurants that I visit, first of all, the people who serve don't get paid a whole lot, so I want them to know what it's like to, to feel like somebody appreciates them. Number two, I go back to the same restaurants. So I want people to know what Jesus thinks about their service. So I tip them well, and they remember me. 
And when I walk in, they pray that I sit in their area. <laughs> so we, we tipped this guy well. And I mean, his eyes went pow when I gave him his tip. Nobody's ever tipped him like that before. And then he thought, okay, we're done. He's going to be mopping up the boat. And I called everybody around and said, listen, Chris, what can we pray for you about? Nobody's, uh, well, I, I got this. Um, and he began to list some things. And, and when you ask people that question, they don't know exactly because they can't. Unless something urgent has come up yesterday. They're rolling back in their mind to try to figure out, okay, I know I got some knees, but this is really strange. Nobody's ever asked me that before. I have to come up with it now, right? Okay, what, what, what? And he came up with it. So we prayed for him then. Extending the kingdom on a fishing trip. Are you listening to me? And it's not just the kind of prayer that lasts for 15 minutes. Please. When <laughs> Be considerate of people's times when you're going to pray for them. Somebody's serving you in the restaurant, 15 seconds is all you got. They have to get back to work. So ours was about a 15 or 20 second prayer. That's it. At the end of it, I always say, Lord, reveal yourself to him in a special way. It's not just praying for their need, but I'm bringing them into the presence of God as I am entering in and then letting them understand the reality of what I see so they can see it. And every time people walk away either in tears or blown away with the atmosphere that has been created in 15 seconds, extending the kingdom. Now that's what I do with strangers when I don't have enough time to share the entire gospel because he had another group that was waiting on the, on the deck to take them back out. So I didn't have time. Restaurants don't have time. But when I do have time, I take it and I pour into people. I want to take, the, I'm not an evangelist. I'm a leader, pastor, a lot of other titles. But I do the work of evangelism to such an extent that people think I am. I win people to Jesus. And it's not that I, it's not because I use all the verses that are in my head. You don't have to have a seminary degree, nor do you have to have some kind of Bible understanding that goes in line with a Bible school. All you've got to have is a story. This is what Jesus did for me, and I want him to do the same for you. Extend the kingdom. Those are the three things about what it means to be welcomed to mission. Encounter Christ. Experience community. And extend the kingdom. Here in the book of John, Jesus does all three. Lazarus' buddy has died. And Jesus had an opportunity to help his buddy live while he was living. Live better while he was living. Lazarus was sick. He got word from Mary and Martha, Lazarus' sisters. The man, the friend whom you love is sick. Please come. When he gets a message, he tells the disciples, eh, let's stay here a couple of days. Now, Mary and Martha would not have sent a message to Jesus if it were not urgent. We're not talking about Lazarus having the flu. Lazarus had an illness of which he was going to die, and they knew Jesus could fix it. He says, let's stay. And the disciples are looking at him thinking, this is how you treat your friends? I mean, you got the power to heal this guy, and you go, you're going to stay. Mary and Martha are... They feed us lunch every time we come to, they put us up every time we come to Jerusalem. You're just going to, you, you're going to blow them off like that? In their greatest hour of need? I got to rethink this. I got to rethink you. Hello. 
Anybody ever rethought God when he didn't meet the need you thought he needed to? I can't believe you didn't do what I wanted you to do. I can't believe you didn't show up when I needed you. Who are you? Mm. Be careful. He's got something better. Are you listening to me? He's got something better. Our myopia sets us up for disbelief and unbelief, cynicism, and it destroys our faith walk. Trust him even when it looks dark and gets darker. Trust him. He's got something better. Let's stay. <laughs> he gets word back, Lazarus, the one you love, has died. And he says, okay, time to go. Go where? Oh, we're going to go see him. He's, he's kind of sleeping. It's okay. Wait, 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 wait. No, he's dead. Did you read the obituary in, in the Jerusalem Journal? Did you read it? He's dead. Yeah. Wait till you see the glory of God. He shows up. Everybody's weeping, crying. Mary meets him as he's walking up to the village. I can't believe you weren't here. Martha meets him as he's walking. I, if you had been here, he would not have died. Now, help me. What's the difference in miracle power between healing someone of a disease of which you're going to die and raising them from the dead? Do you have to up, up the voltage in the miracle power? I mean, what is the definition of a miracle except the suspension of the natural order of things? Whether it's death or whether it's sickness, does it matter to God? Like one's harder than the other? If you had been here, he wouldn't have died. Well, you're right, but I'm here and he's going to live. <laughs> so which one do you want, Mary? Which one do you want, Martha? Your, your brother's coming back. They didn't know what he was talking about. Made it real clear, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Now, this is all prior. These are the, the whole chapter, 11, is devoted to this one miracle. The only whole chapter in the New Testament that is devoted to a miracle. God's trying to say something to us about this. Jesus is so affected by everything and everybody. When he arrives at the tomb, he's weeping. Now, I, the people around interpreted his weeping as, oh, how he loves him. See how he loved Lazarus? Hmm. I don't know. If, if he knows he's about to have lunch with him, why cry? I think he's probably, we don't know. And I've read a whole lot of commentaries on this, but I think he's probably crying because he's been with these people now for two and a half years. A little over, almost three. And he has done everything they didn't think he could do. He's raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. The widow at Nain. A funeral procession. He stops the hearse. Everybody's wondering, what in the world are you doing? Give us our peace, please. I'm about to change this whole thing. Opens the coffin. Says, hey, um, could you please get up? Her son, her only son, gets up out of the coffin. And everybody's going, oh, 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 oh what just happened? He's done everything that nobody thought could be done. 
And they are still doubting him. Still doubting him. I think the human emotions just welled up and and thinking, are y'all still this tense? Why are you treating me like this when you know I can fix this with a word? What have I been to you for the long? This hurts. This really hurts. No, it wasn't about Jesus, but it was about the pain he felt now that people, when they had their opportunity to believe, after they had seen everything they had seen, didn't believe him. Wow, pain. And, and he comes to the tomb. And first thing he says is, roll away the stone. Now, the good thing about Jesus is that I'm convinced he likes to hang out in graveyards. I know it's a little creepy, isn't it? It's just, I, mean, I don't like graveyards. I mean, it's just, I, we, I, I had to, I, we do a lot of funerals as pastors, and I don't like any of them. Just, it's just painful that the whole environment is no fun. You have to produce the kind of faith that produces faith in the room for people to feel like there's an afterlife so that people don't just live in the moment. Funerals are not fun. Graveyards are not fun. But Jesus hangs out in them because therein lies the best candidates for his work. You, me. I'm grateful he came to my grave. I was dead in my trespasses and sins. I could not get out of it. I couldn't work myself out of it. I couldn't think myself out of it. I couldn't self-improve myself out of it. I needed help beyond me. He hung out at my grave. And he's hanging out at yours. If you're here today and you don't know him, he's waiting for you. He's there. Because you happen to be one of the best candidates to do his will. And he believes that once you come out, you're not going to be the same person that went in. He can transform your life and make it so much better. Listen to me. Make it so much better, not just than what it was, but that better than what you think it should be. Hardly anything of my life has turned out the way I thought after I got born again. Hardly anything. It's been better. I had some dreams, but they were all too small or all wrong. There were people I thought, there was a person I thought I needed to marry. wonderful girl couldn't have done a tenth of what my bride has done but I couldn't see I was just like this I thought my emotions need to be those which Jesus followed right I was caring about this person we had developed a relationship she was my high school sweetheart Lord can't you just fold her in this Christian thing no disappointment filled my soul because I was so wrapped up in her I transferred schools to be with her I had a scholarship, full-paid college, playing football at a small school. I wasn't any good, but I fooled some people. <laughs> I gave up in my, after my third year, my junior year, gave up all that and, started, and, and, and decided to pay to go to Indiana University. Dumb. But that's how much I cared about this girl. I wanted to be with her. Got there in January. By March, I met Jesus. Far away from God as I could have been before I met him. Met Jesus. 
And within two weeks, my life was just, oh. And I was trying to bring her in, brought her to church, met my pastor, the whole works, and all she did was cry the entire time, thinking, I don't know what's happened to my boyfriend. And within two weeks, I had to let her go. And I thought, God, I came here for her. Are you, what if, <laughs> both of us were, disappointment set in. It took five years until I found out why she wasn't the right one. And boy, did God give me the best version of wife I could have had. She and Eve, sisters. <laughs> sisters. You get my point. Theologically, it's really wrong. But <laughs> preaching-wise, it makes sense. Oh, I love my bride, Cynthia, with all my heart. And I'm grateful for our 34 years of productivity in the kingdom and what we've been able to produce in our children. I could not have done it. He did better. He did better. He hangs out at graves to make your life better than you ever thought possible. And then he says, move away, move away the stone. It's interesting. If a man could raise somebody from the dead, don't you think he could just speak to a rock and tell it to move? I mean, he did say, if you have faith of the mustard seed, you could tell this mountain to be uprooted and cast into the sea in Mark chapter 11, verse 22. So it's obvious he could have told the stone, this swipe left. <laughs> he could have done that. But he said, no, y'all, remove the stone. You need people to help you to remove the impediments to your witness. Why, why did the stone need to be removed? It wasn't to help Lazarus be raised from the dead. It was so that when he was raised from the dead, other people could see him. He could be raised from the dead behind the stone. But he needed to be out so other people could witness. He really is alive. And you need others to help you identify the stones that are in your way that would stop other people from seeing Jesus on the inside of you. This is discipleship, at least part of it. We'll get to more of it in a minute. You need others to say, you know, you probably ought not go to that club anymore. I'm just, I'm just thinking, no, clubs are not innately sin in that there's nothing wrong with music and there's innately nothing wrong with drinking, but the atmosphere that's created by the people who do both there is not stimulating to your progress. And you used to be one of the people that helped create the atmosphere. So until you change your habit patterns, it's probably not the best idea for you to go until you can create a different atmosphere where you can go in like Jesus did and hang out with tax gatherers and sinners and not become one of them. You need other people to help you understand how to remove the impediment of the stone so that people can see your witness. Sometimes you can't see what's in the way. This is good stuff, but y'all aren't responding as well as I'd like. I'm, I'm just saying that there's not enough, mm, there's not enough, amen, oh yeah. You, you don't even have to do that, you can just go, mm. And then he says, Lazarus, come forth. In a loud voice. Why? Not because Lazarus was deaf. Lazarus was dead. <laughs> His voice decibels weren't going to help. 
He said it in a loud voice. He said so everybody else could hear. He wanted the next neighborhood to hear. People who weren't immediately at the tomb. Lazarus! Get out of that grave! <laughs> and here we've got this pause. Every once in a while you just need to read the pause. It's not there. You go straight to the next sentence in Scripture, but you just need to, to look at the pause. Because you've got to understand what Lazarus was dealing with when Jesus said this. Now, the way they would do what they would do in terms of caring for bodies when somebody passes, they would, they would do their best <clears throat> to wrap them in spices and ointments so that the body could be preserved. And it looked kind of like a mummy. Now, what, what Egypt did was a little bit different in that bodies, physical bodies, flesh, has been preserved for a long period of time. <clears throat> Israel didn't do it exactly like that, but it was close. And so they would wrap them from head to toe with linens that had been soaked in kinds of ointments, and they would use myrrh and other spices in order to preserve the body well. And then they would take the body, if the uh, deceased had, a, uh, had some resources and bought a tomb, and lay it in a tomb. And a tomb would be a, usually a place hollowed out in a mountain, a hole, a little cave, and there would be a slab on the inside, a rock, probably six feet long, maybe three feet high. And they would lay the body on the slab. And then they would take a stone, and <clears throat> which usually weighed about 2,000 pounds, and they would create a platform in the shape of a V. And they would take this stone that was carved and put the, the stone on one side of the platform, and then the stone would automatically roll into the V and stay there because it couldn't go upwards on the other side because of gravity. And that's how they would keep the stone in place. And they would do that, obviously, to protect the body from grave robbers, but also the stench was great. And Jesus told them to remove the stone, which was work. It's always work if you're going to disciple somebody. It's always work. Not only did the body stink, they said, but think about moving a 2,000-pound stone uphill. You've got to have a bunch of people. And some of y'all take a bunch of people. Some of y'all got some problems. I can't fix them. I need a team of folks to come in and help you. But that's okay. I understand. That was me. I needed more than one person to help me to get right. And it's a wonderful thing when the spiritual village can raise a human being. Jesus said, come out. But it wasn't, it wasn't as easy as Lazarus just walking out. He was bound. He was on a slab, horizontal. Come on. <clears throat> Going to do a little reenactment this morning. These gentlemen are trained rappers. <laughs> Not trained well, but they are trained, trained rappers. This is the first time they've ever done this. We'll see how good they are. All right, that's good and tight, y'all. Y'all doing a good job. You're doing a real good job. Whoop, whoop, whoop. Just, yeah, just go ahead and put it on top of the other stuff, sir. Great, great, great. Don't have a lot of time. Hurry. It's just a 30-minute sermon, y'all. Got it? Okay, now, 
Help me out. Help me out. Help me out. Be, be good to me. Don't you miss. All, right, all the way down, bro. You got to be strong. Got to be strong. Got to be strong. Okay, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Thank you very much. Good, good, good. So, <clears throat> here we got, here we got Lazarus lying on the slab. He's dead. He's dead. And he hears his voice. Now, I want y'all to say what Jesus said. On the count of three, Lazarus, come forth. One, two, three. Was that? I've heard that. What? What? Am I not dead? That was Jesus. Oh, oh, I'm back. <laughs> I'm back. Whoa, I'm back. Boy, that was a long four days. Oh, oh what? Oh, but he didn't just say come alive. He said come forth. Uh, that's, that's a problem. I, I don't know how to, how I, okay, I'm going to obey, I'm going to obey. I'm going to obey, I'm going to obey, I'm going to try to obey. Oh, that didn't work so well. Oh, that didn't work so well. Okay, okay, let's see. Said, come for. Okay, okay, okay. Here I come! Here I come! I don't know how long it took it took him to get to the entrance. You get my point? You can be alive but still bound. Get back up here and take this stuff off me. You can be alive and still bound. In fact, most of us are. And what does he say next? I need the community to come and help. Unwrap him. Unbind him. You need people to help you get free. If you are not discipled, you are living below your privilege. If you don't have people helping you on a regular basis for the rest of your life, it's going to take you longer to get your, to your destination if you ever get to your destination. You got to have people to help you become unbound. And that's what we do here. Is it confrontive? Is it scary? Yes, people know more stuff than you want them to know. But that's okay. Because they actually know more than you think they know. They're just not telling you. It's not like you're sharing with somebody something so outlandish that they may have never heard it before. You just don't want them to think that about you. But the transparency necessary to get you free will allow you the privilege 
of binding with somebody else in soul and in relationship as they free you from your sin. And you need to be freed from your sin. You need to be freed from the things and habit patterns that have caused you to go the wrong way. You need to be freed from memories. You need to be freed from all kinds of things that still try to, as tentacles, pull you back into the world. And people can help you. Now, I know what I'm about to say is a little unusual. And don't use it as a standard. But I got born again in the third week of March, 1981. By the first week of December, I was in full-time ministry. That's roughly seven months and three weeks. That makes no sense. And I really question the discernment of those who put me in ministry. What were they thinking? I knew I had some potential. And I love preaching the gospel. But really, you want to certify this novice? I, was, I, wasn't even in green, I wasn't even green. I was in seed form. But I had put so many people around me to help me get unbound that I grew much faster than most. It wasn't because Brett had such a passion. It was because I surrendered and said, not only do I need you, Jesus, I need them. I need them to help me get unbound. And as a result, I went into ministry, became a campus minister in seven months and three weeks, and then came here another nine months later to help start the church that you're now a part of. Start a campus ministry at Howard University and help start the church. I was 21 years old and, and 16 months old in God. That's it. But I kept putting people around me. And they kept pulling off my grave clothes. And what happened? I don't know how long it took, but it took some time. It says that everybody there came to see Lazarus in the city. And they were just like, wow, dude. What was it like being dead? (laughs) Where'd you go? Where'd you go? What's that bosom of Abraham thing like? I mean, 2020 was there. 48 Hours was there. CNN was there. Everybody was trying to figure out what is that man? Tell me what it now. Whatever, whatever it, it caused in terms of a societal stir, Lazarus was a witness. And everybody knew Everybody knew he did not do this himself. All I know is that I was there on the slab and I heard his voice. I heard his voice. I don't even know how I heard his voice. And I tried to obey it. It wasn't easy. I I had to come out telling the story. experienced community he encountered Christ he experienced what community was and then he became a witness of who Jesus was in his life to everybody to such a degree listen to me that the Jews heard about it the leadership of the Jews heard about it and said we not only have to kill Jesus we need to kill Lazarus now that's what sin will do to you it'll make you stupid sin will make you stupid 
So like, if they kill Lazarus, he won't raise him again from the dead. <laughs> like, death didn't work the first time. Why do you want to try a solution that did not prevail? Sin makes you stupid. What they should have done is said, I surrender. <laughs> he just conquered the greatest enemy that all humanity has ever faced. I surrender. But that's how intimidating Lazarus was to the Jewish community. And that's how much of a witness he made to the entire world. May the world somehow react to your extension of his kingdom because he is the one who gets the credit for making you you. That everybody says, I know her. <laughs> I'm telling you, I know her. That's not her. That's Jesus. You don't know how many times I've been out with Jim, John, Antoine, Jose. You don't know what we've done together. I'm telling you, that dude is not him. Jesus. He says Jesus did it. I don't know nothing about Jesus, but I know that dude is not him anymore. He's not the guy I used to run with. May your extension of his kingdom make people say that. Make them question every day, what has happened to her? What has happened to him? Let's pray. Daddy, I love you. You're a good God. Thank you for your greatness in helping us understand what it means to be welcomed to mission. This is who we are called to be. Have your way with us in this house. If there's anybody this morning who feels like Jesus is standing at your tomb and you're still on the inside, here's an opportunity to come out. You at home, listen. This is a moment. Not just listen to me. Listen to the voice of Jesus because he's calling you out. If you, if you hear his voice this morning, raise your hand high. I see it. Bless you. Once it's up, you can put it down. Anybody else? I see those hands. Bless you. You online, let's acknowledge today the voice of God in your life. He's calling you out of what you've been involved with, the morass, the junk, the sin, the ditches in which you have driven your life, driven your life into. And he's saying, come out. If you raise your hand, if you want to acknowledge this at home, pray this prayer with me. Say, Father in heaven, forgive me for my sin. I am sorry for the way I've lived my life. I choose to turn away from everything I know to be wrong and to follow you with all of my heart. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for loving me. And thank you for giving me the privilege of calling Jesus Christ the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen.